Joseph Weiss, MD, is clinical professor of medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology at the University of California, San Diego. Dr. Weiss is a fellow of the American College of Physicians, a fellow of the American Gastroenterological Association, and a senior fellow at the American College of Gastroenterology. Double board certified in internal medicine and gastroenterology, Dr. Weiss has over 40 years of clinical teaching, administrative, and research experience. He is the author of more than two dozen books on health, including his favorite, Got Guts, a guide to show how to prevent and beat colon cancer. He's also had numerous papers published in prestigious international medical journals and in the lay press. Dr. Weiss, nicknamed Dr. G.I. Joe, is also an accomplished humorist and professional speaker, having given over 4,000 presentations nationally and internationally. Um, he is so smart and so talented, I can barely understand his credits, but we have him here tonight to speak uh, about the gut microbiome. So listeners, you've heard those credits and um, I hope you're as impressed as I am. Dr. Joe is a real formative doctor in, in this area of uh, the gut microbiome. Uh, he's super knowledgeable and this is in the news every day. I mean, I, I, there's not a time that I open up my Apple news feed where I don't see um, once a week, twice a week, an article on the uh, gut microbiome or microbiomes in general. Um, it, it seems to be something that everybody is concerned about regarding physical health, mental health. It almost looks like the entire universe uh, is, is centered now around your gut. I mean, I think the Buddhists have some uh, idea of uh, Dante or something regarding, you know, the center of the universe is your gut uh, during a meditation, a Taoist meditation, actually. So is this possible? I mean, who knows? But let's ask Joe, you know, to explain from the beginning why this focus now on this on the microbiome? I assume it's been around since uh, Aristotle's time. So why now are we so paying so much attention? And really, what is it? Fair enough. It's it's a, a very good question. And the microbiome has obviously been around since the first humans were walking on this planet. Its importance has only recently been recognized. And when I say recently, over the last several decades, the science and understanding of the microbiome has literally exploded into areas where scientists were shocked and surprised by how important it is. But you're right, it does go back tens of thousands of years in ancient Ayurveda, ancient Arabic medicine, they all knew about the fact that there are microbes and that they are part of our gastrointestinal tract and they play a role in our health and well-being. It was actually about 150 years ago that a fellow by the name of Eli Metchnikoff started the whole push into understanding how microbes in the gut can play a role in human health and longevity, which is what he was exploring. He got the Nobel Prize in medicine for his work on white blood cells. But after he was appointed to a prestigious position at the Pasteur Institute in Paris, he was wondering what will be his encore. It was to study longevity. He went to Bulgaria and in the mountains, he found people drinking what he described as sour milk, which was yogurt. He was able to identify the lactobacillus, the bifidobacteria, which he assumed were the source of their longevity and good health. He wrote a book, a monograph on this. He advocated improving intestinal health by using probiotics, microbes. One of the people who picked up on this was John Harvey Kellogg. What year NYU, is this? 
this was back in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. John Harvey Kellogg was a physician from NYU, a colorectal surgeon who had the Battle Creek Sanitarium go into the business of colonic health. And he had people coming from all over the world to improve their gut microbiome. It wasn't described as such at the time, but for intestinal health, he suggested not only the lactobacillus that Eli Meshnikoff suggested, but adding fiber to feed the microbes. And John Harvey Kellogg was the brother of the founder of Kellogg cereal. Kellogg's cornflakes was the first prebiotic to help feed the microbes. So it's actually been around for a long time, but it's only in the last few decades that the science has really shown how powerful the microbiome is in our overall health and well-being. Okay. How many pounds or how, I read some numbers somewhere. I was astounded at like we're carrying around five pounds of, of these microbiomes in our gut. Um, you know, you know they're, they're just, they're just lying there. So if we you know lost five pounds of weight, we would lose like you know, one fifth of that or something as a, as a gut biome. What is it? What is the number that we're carrying around? Well, the number is variable, obviously depends on the individual. Five pounds is a good round number, but here, I don't want to gross you or the audience out, but think of Go it ahead. this way. The five <laughs> pounds is basically what you would consider the contents of your intestinal tract, and in particular, the colon. So one mm. can call it feces or poop, however you want to call it. That material is not just poop. That is your gut microbiome. And it contains trillions of cells of microbes. It weighs on average about five pounds, but some people have more content than others. I won't make any puns about this, but as you can imagine, some have more uh, gut microbiome inside than others. And you can change the microbiome literally with a single meal or exposure to a new food or product. So it's not static, it's changing all the time. And the other thing that's important to realize is the gastrointestinal tract is very, very long. It goes from the mouth through the pharynx, the esophagus, the food pipe, stomach, the small intestine, which has different sections, the colon, rectum, and out. It's about 25 to 30 feet long. The microbiome, the microbes that live in each particular inch of the colon is different than the ones from just before or just after. It depends on what area of the gut you're looking, and it's a continually changing uh, plate, if you would, of microbes that reside within us. Okay. So does this mean that somebody who's Chinese and eats Chinese food has a completely different gut biome profile than so a Peruvian or an Icelandic person? I mean, is it so specific to the, what, you, what your food intake is and culture? Go one step further. It is so specific. It is beyond a fingerprint in terms of accuracy no. in identifying a single individual. The oh FBI can use the <laughs> microbiome to find somebody planet wide. And yes, it is influenced by your diet. It is influenced by your environment. It is profoundly influenced by everything around you. And people who live in the same household will have unique microbiomes. However, they will share more in common than someone who lives outside of the household. Yet each individual has an absolutely unique gut microbiome. 
Is that genetic, Joe? Does, does that start from you know your gene pool? It has a limited influence from the genes. It is much more related to the environment. Yes, when you have a genetic predisposition and certain dietary uh, discretions because of your genetic background, so let's say you're lactose intolerant and you inherited that from your folks, you will change your diet. So your microbiome will be shifted because of that. But in general, your microbiome is independent of your genetic background. It is entirely dependent on your environmental exposure, the foods you eat, where you live, the water you drink, your exposure to antibiotics, pharmaceutical products, the altitude you live, uh, the geographic location where you are, the diet you're on, everything influences the microbiome. And the microbiome influences everything. How, how could people live with such incredibly different microbiomes and still like almost be human? Like when you think of the diet of Eskimos, completely devoid of vegetables, uh, wheat, green matter, and almost 100% dependent upon protein from animal fat and animal muscle. I mean, their gut biome must be like so radically different than a vegetarian in India. I mean, it, it, it almost doesn't seem like the same race could survive one person only eating, you know, car caribou meat and one person only eating uh, legumes uh, and, and lentils and things like that in, in the south of India. How does how do we survive such incredible differences in our in our gut biome profiles? I would suggest that not only survival, but the diversity is key to human development and survival, obviously. And yes, there are dramatic differences in the microbiome, depending on the location, your diet, where you eat, what you eat. What is considered to be the healthiest microbiome on the planet today is the microbiome of people who live in the Amazonian jungle of northern Brazil and Peru, uh, the Yanomamo people. They have the most diverse microbiomes on the planet. Even people from Alaska to India to the Arctic, wherever you are, there are some commonalities. So you may have heard of the microbe E. coli, which is very common in the gastrointestinal tract. That's pretty much ubiquitous. It's everywhere. However, the microbiome is so unique and so diversified that every individual, again, has an absolutely unique microbiome, but it is possible to modify and manipulate it. One of the concerns in Western society is that we have been much too liberal using antibiotics yeah. and antimicrobial products. You may have heard the term, the hygiene hypothesis, that because in the West we've been washing our hands with soap and water and telling kids not to play in the dirt, we have ended up with a whole series of illnesses that are more common in the Western population. Multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, a whole host of conditions which are thought to be related to the lack of exposure to the microbes that we need to develop a healthy immune system and good health. Do you, Joe, do you, do you believe that? I mean, is that science that that because I have certainly heard that thesis. Something is up when the, the some of these these diseases like asthma are just skyrocketing in children. I mean, something is clearly different in, in, in or 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 I'm wrong. <laughs> no, you're not, you're not wrong at all, and it is without a doubt real. There are differences on illnesses based on population. There's a whole field of geographic medicine, and we do know 
that there are profound differences on people's health depending on where they live, not just geographic location, but also related to altitude, sunshine, exposure to radiation, uh, you name it, it does influence our health and well-being. And there is a lot of support for this hygiene hypothesis that we have been overdoing it with antibiotics and antimicrobials. And as you're probably aware, antibiotics in the United States are used more in animal. I am well aware of that. Yes, than in humans. Yes, yes, I'm well. I, I am well aware of that. And and because of my interest in natural food and organic food and yes. holistic eating, which is going goes back to goes back literally fifty years. <laughs> When I started eating in, when I was 18 years old from Irwan in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1970. Yes, yeah, smart man. I, I, you smart know, man. I, I, I'm very aware that we've always been doing that. And I've been involved in the sustainable meat and protein movement in the United States. So, yes, I, I'm aware of how much we've been feeding animals, you know, for, for to fatten them up and to prevent their obviously quick demise in pens and in, you know, horrible yes. you know, conditions, et cetera. So we've, we've created this antibiotic um, uh, euphoria, if you will, and it's totally changed our gut biome, not for the better. Is that your thesis? Oh, absolutely. And not only that, as, and I'm sure you're aware of this, the antibiotics are ubiquitous. They're in the water, they're in the air, they're in the soil. If you're even buying organic food, that doesn't mean you're not being exposed to antibiotics, you are. And beyond that, if you think of organic food as being the pure food that you want it to be, there is some controversy about that. You may have addressed this in other programs, but there is a lot of controversy that organic does not necessarily mean free of toxic chemicals and residues such as hormones and antibiotics. So if they get their free manure from a commercial cattle ranch and they spread it on their organic farms, it remains licensed and certified organic. Yet, because those animals have been given antibiotics and hormones and exposed to pesticides, the manure is toxic. And although it's certified as organic, is not what you would want to be eating. Well, you have to eat something. And I, I think that people who are eating that, like myself, are believing that as bad as that is, spraying it with, you know, 300 uh, even more toxic chemicals is worse. You know, so I, you, know, you do, since you have to put something in your mouth, you may as well put something a little bit better, even if it's not perfect. Does that make and sense? I, it does. And what I would suggest is I don't say don't use organic. I like organic. I would want you to use organic. But what I do suggest is try to go to the farmer's market, ask them where they get their manure from. I know this is a personal <laughs> question. Or right. if you go to the larger markets, ask right. them, are they careful about where they source their organic produce if they're right. not being exposed indirectly? Right. Okay. Take us through some of the most sort of like esoteric and hard for me to understand uh, connection between depression, um, uh, mood swings, bipolar, uh, psychosis, schizophrenia. You know, they're, they're, they're implying that, you know, forgetting physical health, there's all sorts of mental health components to this gut biome that can be adjusted or reduced and that there's this psychological disorders tied to the gut biome. That's the newest, hottest thing, if I'm not mistaken. Please explain that connection. Sure. It's, it's fascinating. And part of it has to do with going back to some basics. As you're probably familiar with the central nervous system and the mind, there are a number of chemicals and neurotransmitters, hormones, 
metabolites to influence our health and well-being. So if you're familiar with the mental health field, you probably have heard of a group of pharmaceuticals which have become very popular, including Prozac, Paxil, et cetera. They're called SSRIs, yes. selective serotonin receptor inhibitors. It used to be thought that the treatment, the pharmaceutical treatment, would change the levels of serotonin in the blood and therefore affect mood. And other drugs would affect the other neurotransmitters. If you go back to the basics, the neurotransmitters are created from amino acids that are derived from our diet. The cells manufacture these neurotransmitters and they influence our health and well-being. What people did not know, and they have only recognized relatively recently, is that the coordination of the production of these neurotransmitters in human cells is intimately tied in with the gut. Oh. If you look at the entire human body, about 50% of the dopamine, which is a major neurotransmitter, is in the brain. 5% of the body's serotonin is in the brain. Over 90% of the serotonin in the body, which is a major neurotransmitter, is in the gut. It is generated by cells in the gut called enterochromatin cells, and they produce serotonin and other neurotransmitters. The key understanding of how neurotransmitters work in the body is related to understanding their source, their origin. They are manufactured in cells in the gastrointestinal cell called enterochromatin cells. They're in the small intestine. They take dietary amino acids and manufacture the neurotransmitters. However, they do so under the direction of microbes. It's the microbes that tell the enterochromatin cells of the gut to produce the neurotransmitters. Some of the microbes produce the neurotransmitters themselves. So of the entire serotonin level in the human body, only 5% is in the brain, over 90% is in the gut. And it's the microbes and the enterochromatin cells of the gut under the direction of the microbes that is producing and creating the neurotransmitters which affect our mood, mental health, and a whole host of other conditions as well. So unfortunately or fortunately, the key to many neurologic and psychological and psychiatric conditions is intimately tied in to not just the gut, but the gut microbiome. Oh in fact, God. there's a whole new field now where you're using probiotics specifically to manipulate mood, behavior, they're called psychobiotics. That's a catchy name, but these are microbes that are known to influence the levels of the various neurotransmitters. There are over 100 neurotransmitters, some you've heard the names of, acetylcholine, dopamine, serotonin, GABA, etc. There are dozens you have not heard of, and there are dozens that are yet to be discovered, but the microbes are key. Wow. And so Freud had no idea about any of this when he decided that this uh, that people were just hysterical or had, <laughs> had, if, if, had, had neuroses based on their mother or their child. You know, you know it, it would be embarrassing to have a gastroenterologist tell him it's because people are full of, and I won't use the term, their gut microbiome. That's what's causing it. But yes, that's what's happening. There's a great deal of evidence that they are so powerful that many people are now looking at 
probiotics specifically to improve the neurotransmitter levels. These are now known as psychobiotics. It's a group of probiotics to manipulate and modify neurotransmitter levels. So it's a whole new field of addressing mental health issues through the gut. And as I'm sure you're aware, the diet plays a big role, but the microbes play an even bigger role. And there is growing evidence that it's not just depression and anxiety, but everything from Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, autism, uh, schizophrenia, you name the mental health condition. It is associated with the gut microbiome and its effect on the rest of the body. It's a powerful connection. It's called the brain-gut connection. And it is a very powerful influence on our mental health and well-being. Wow. That, that's, that, that's why we're doing this show, because this is what I've been reading you know, in the popular press. Uh, and this is what's just astounded me that this is even a remote possibility. Now, one of my <clears throat> theses has been that a lot of the issues that we're having uh, are due to longevity. You know, Joe, um, in Oliver Cromwell's time, in the, the, a mere you know, two, couple hundred years ago, the average life expectancy was 32. Most people didn't make it to their 50s. Uh, many people died in infancy, if not in childhood, and then they died in their teen years. An infection could kill you at any point in time. A tooth infection, you were dead. The yeah. graveyards are, are filled with people who, you know, who died uh, in, their, in their teens and, and less. So if you take the, 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 the human organism, and we're now extending life into the 70s. There was a new funny article, 90s, the new 60. People, you know, the president's now going to run again. He's 80. Yes. Is it just possible that like our gut wasn't intended to go this far? And it's like, perhaps like when in, you're in your 60s, when all my friends are getting cancer or Parkinson's or a million other diseases uh, in their 60s and 70s, it, it, it's just you when you when you reach this age, you know, everybody gets ill or seems to get ill. Is it possible that like, you know, kind of like the gut, it gets putrid? Because because it wasn't really meant to function at the in, in, in the 60, 70, 80 year old decade. And so of course everybody's getting Alzheimer's in their 80s, which is which is you know so getting so common it's it's almost not funny. Is that possible? Well, here's the good news. It's very, very unlikely that it is age related, particularly when it comes to the gut. Now I've looked inside of tens of thousands of guts. And you cannot tell a person's age by looking inside their gut. There are some things that do develop with age, but overall, the gut is a relatively young organ. If you think about it, the cell turnover rate in the gut is so high that you basically have a new gut every few weeks. The cells are continually being replaced. So when it comes to longevity, yes, life expectancy has improved predominantly because of being able to eliminate childhood infectious diseases and antibiotics have made a big difference. But think of it this way. There are many people who even in ancient times lived into their 70s and 80s. In fact, it was not that unusual. People had longevity. There is growing evidence that aging itself is not normal. It is related to continuous inflammation uh, yeah. the free radicals and oxidation. If you could eliminate inflammation, you can slow down aging. And there is 
dramatic advances in the field of longevity in terms of using genes as well as other approaches to manipulate the aging chronology. That is, one can actually slow down or stop the progress of chronologic aging. And there is even evidence, Jonathan, that you can reverse it, much like that Benjamin Button movie a while yeah. ago. There are animals alive today which can regress and age and go from a mature, uh, nearly senile level to a juvenile polyp again. They can reverse the aging chronologically and biologically. So aging is very, very different than what we had thought before. And yes, it is an area of concern. The gut does, the gut microbiome does change with age, but it does not change that dramatically that one would consider, oh my gosh, my gut is too old and I can't go on. It is possible to have a very long and healthy life, even at a senior age. Joe, are the are the pharmaceutical companies um, you know, looking into this? Uh, is it who's putting the research and the money behind this? Where are you working, and what are you doing in this regard? How, how is this shaping out? Who's who, who's putting the efforts into learning more about the gut biome as a as a as a source of all this uh, remedial medicine? It is a major industry, but is it think of it in this way, and this is where one has to be careful. Most of the probiotic marketplace out there is not pharmaceutical grade. It is not regulated by the FDA. These are not uh, products that are undergoing rigorous studies. It's a $50 billion per year industry selling probiotics without regulation. The vast majority of the probiotics out there are not worth the money you spend to buy them. And there's very little science behind them. What they do is they make a fortune. So the probiotics are working great for the companies manufacturing them, but the science does not support what they're doing in terms of how they're marketing. When it comes down to it, the pharmaceutical industry is very interested in longevity and they are very interested in enhanced health, but the probiotics are not their domain because they cannot patent them. That is not a moneymaker for them. So they are looking at other areas of longevity, uh, different chemical compounds called sirtuins and the like. And there are areas of advancement in the life sciences in longevity outside of the microbiome. But the microbiome, although it's a big industry, is not pharmaceutical grade. Okay, so um, now let's go to the practical effect of this. Um, what does one do to make sure that they have a healthy gut biome profile? If, if, if they're not going to be taking probiotics, is it a dietary thing? I mean, let's, let's just ask the question, what do you eat? And how do you, uh, how do you take, obviously you, you're me, as knowledgeable about this as any human on earth. So how do you, how do you make sure that your gut biome is in the profile, a healthy profile you want it to be? Uh, let me be very clear. I am not opposed to probiotics in the sense that we do need microbes. We do want to encourage the intake of healthy microbes for our gut microbiome health. What I would discourage is the present use of the commercially available products that are out there. If you think about the greatest health benefits of the microbiome is thought to be tied in to its diversity. 
the more diverse your microbiome, the belief is the healthier you will be. The most diverse microbiome is in the Yanomami people in the Amazonian jungle. By coming to Western society, being exposed to antibiotics, processed foods, being exposed to the same probiotic products that everyone else is taking, you're looking at microbiome monotony, uniformity. If you look at the probiotics that are being commercially sold, they'll say they have so many billions of colony forming units of these two or three or four microbes that they have in their product. Don't forget that the microbiome is enormous. There are over one trillion, that's one trillion different species of microbes on planet Earth. There are millions of species of microbes in the gut. 30 or 40 years ago, we had no clue. If you would ask me 30 or 40 years ago, I'd say there are probably a couple dozen microbial species. Why, was, why would there be any more? We now know that there are millions. And the reason we know that is because of gene sequencing. It's like fingerprinting now. You can identify genes. You can identify microbes with rapid testing, accurate testing. It used to be you had to try to culture them in the laboratory, to grow them, to look at them under the microscope, to stain them, to identify them. We were missing the biggest, uh, <laughs> trying to think of the right word, stampede of microbes in history. They were always there. We just didn't know they were there. So now that we know that there is such amazing diversity, what I would suggest you do is encourage diversity. Don't use the same probiotic product over and over and over again. Again, that's microbial monotony and uniformity that is not diversity. If you're insisting on using a probiotic, change brands every so often, but better than probiotics, your money is better spent going to a health food store and buying a diversity of produce and plants and material, each one of those contains microbes. Each one of them has microbes. They're not sterile unless right. you're buying something that's been pasteurized. Right. And that's where you should be getting your microbiome from. So I would use the probiotics that are naturally occurring, whether it's fermented foods such as kefir and yogurt, uh, kimchi, etc., or just eating fruits and vegetables. You're going to have a tremendous diversity of microbes. That is the probiotic you should be using until more science comes out saying, you know what, these are the exact microbes you need. And now we can give you pharmaceutical grade probiotics that will be of proven benefit to you, as opposed to please take our product and help us make a fortune, whether it helps you or not, who knows? I saw a cute cartoon from the New Yorker. It basically said, you should take these probiotics now before the science comes out that shows they're worthless. <laughs> that's, that's very funny. Um, is there a place or is there a, a service like when obviously you can have your throat cultured, um, you can have uh, your blood analyzed. Um, is there a place that analyzes um, your gut biome and can there, make recommendations about what's good or bad or how you're doing or whether it's whether it looks healthy or whether the profile is good or not? I mean, where you send some of your feces to somebody to analyze it and, and is it worthwhile? Do you ever do that? Well, here's the answer to that question. There are services out there. It's a business. Don't tell the mailman what you're putting in the mail. Yeah. But they want you to send them your poop and they will do a microbiome analysis and they will give you feedback with what they're suggesting 
you should be on in terms of a diet. There are several companies out there and there is some controversy about the companies and about the science. There is one company in particular, which I've been very impressed with. Their science is sound. They've been published in credible and prestigious scientific journals. Actually, the data came out of the Weissman Institute in Israel. Mm -hmm. It was picked up by the Mayo Clinic. So I will mention the name for you. It's called Day2, D-A-Y-T-W-O. I have no financial interest in this company, but they are credible. They're reliable. They do a gut microbiome analysis. Their strength is in those who have diabetes. For those mm. who have diabetes, they are particularly accurate in giving guidance in diet based on the microbiome. And you may have heard the term glycemic index, certain of course. which will cause your blood sugar to spike of too rapidly. Of course, I'm dealing with a friend with that right now today. Today, I'm dealing with a friend that has advanced diabetes and we're dealing with this, this issue. Go ahead. You may find it very interesting to reach out and see what day two may be able to offer. Some of the science they've, they've come up with is pretty astounding. They have found that much of the glycemic index results were entirely based on the microbiome of the people as they were being studied. And a food may have gotten a reputation as having a high glycemic index when it wasn't the food. It was the microbes and the people that they were studying when they came out with that result. So that's turning everything upside down. And to give you another example of how powerful the microbiome is in, in I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase it. You know, there is a, a bit of a joke about weather. If you don't like it, just wait, it will change. The same is yeah. true with science. If you wait long enough, the results will change. Do you remember the times when people were always wondering, is it good to eat egg yolks or bad? Yeah. Well, you wait every five or six years, the data would change. Egg yolks are good for you, they're bad for you, they're good for you, they're bad for you. What they found out was the data was all over the place because the microbiome wasn't taken into account. When they went back, they found that it was the microbiome. If you harbor a specific microbe, it would convert the lecithin and the choline in the eggs to a product called TMA, and TMAO, which is trimethylamine oxide, which causes atherosclerosis. So if you have the microbes that convert the components of the egg into atherosclerosis, don't eat egg yolks. If you don't have that microbe, you can eat all the egg yolks you want. So the results were, were flawed because no one was looking at the microbial population. The data was all over the place. One study said egg yolks are fine. The other one said it's terrible for you is because they weren't looking at the microbiome. Wow. Uh, the, 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 you're opening so many windows, Joe, uh, in this that it's scary to me um, uh, because it's, I don't think we have a handle on this, what's good, what's bad. How, how, you know, we don't have the testing mechanism for this. It, you know, there's just so many things that, that this can do that we just don't, that our doctors and specialists don't tell us about. I mean, nobody that I've ever gone to in, in my entire life of, you know, being treated by physicians for whatever is wrong with me, which isn't much, but has ever sat down and discussed the microbiome with me. I've never had that conversation. Nobody's ever told me to modify this or modify that or be aware of this or tested for this or tested for that or implied that because I felt like this, it could be that because of a microbiome. I'm just saying that like, you know, this is never, everything you're saying is so new 
and radical that uh, radically new, it, which is a good thing. That is just shocking. Well, but let me let me rephrase that for you in just a little bit by suggesting that actually it's not that foreign. If you go back even to the time of Hippocrates, one of his famous sayings was, "Your medicine should be your food, yeah. and your food should be your medicine." If you go back to it, diet, which is key to the microbiome is really your key to health and well-being. Most doctors don't know what we're talking about. It wasn't taught. This is so recent, so new. That's what I remember. Getting at. Yeah, I, I remember growing up, I was like, darn, I sort of missed out. I wish I was growing up in the age of discovery that had been so exciting. Well, guess what? This is the age of discovery. It doesn't yeah. get any more exciting than this. Yeah. And the, fr the frightening thing is that the vast majority of what we believe we know is wrong. We just don't know it yet. But everything is changing, and it is exciting, and it is challenging. But go back to the basics, Jonathan, and audience. Please eat healthy foods. Stay away from the overprocessed fat uh, foods that we eat in Western society. We have a whole list of illnesses which are tied to the standard American diet. It causes the standard American diseases. And the probiotics are out there. They're available to us. Eat healthy foods, fermented foods, go to the organic farm stands. If you eat healthy and have a healthy gut microbiome, you will prevent so many conditions. Everyone's paralyzed with fear about Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. It's all related to the gut microbiome. Wow. Well, Joe, <laughs> by pure coincidence, um, I think I'm your patient in a sense, like uh, just briefly without getting too personal to listeners. Um, I've eaten fairly healthy my entire life since I was about 18. Uh, and I, as I mentioned, I discovered, you know, macrobiotic cooking and eating, et cetera. I don't yes. think I've eaten a hamburger in 35 years. I don't think I've drank and drank a soda in, you know, 40 years or something like that. I, I just tend to eat pretty well. And um, I don't, I'm 71 years old. I don't have anything wrong with me. I, I don't have, I don't take any prescription drugs. I can run for an hour and a half. I, I mean, I'm really, you know, I ski at, at altitude. I just came back from a week of skiing in New Mexico at 12,000 feet, skied all day, never got tired or whatever. And half of my friends who eat shit and drink shit and, you know, and just don't pay any attention to that. They're, they're walking around with like, you know, seven or eight prescription pills that they have to swallow every morning and they're not well. You know? No, no, we, we have a very, very screwed up healthcare system and a screwed up approach to healthy living. Our diet is terrible. The standard American diet leads to yeah, standard American diseases. We can do so much better. And as your own experience shows, by eating healthy, you can really enhance your vitality and longevity. That's the key. Yeah. Okay, so you've written how many books? I, I, I how many books have you written? Oh, it's over two dozen, but uh, that I don't. I think anyone else has more books on the New York Times bestseller list than me. So I <laughs> think I win in that category. That's because that, yeah, that's another story, but we'll talk about that off, offline. Why don't you write a cookbook? I mean, was, you know, why don't you just try to do a cookbook? Because it, it, the gut biome, you know, cookbook. I mean, it's something like it, it, how do you? Uh, be, we'll, we'll wrap up this this session with this. Just describe your uh, your eating habits. What do you eat on a on a you know daily, weekly basis? Just you know, tell us what you eat because obviously you know you're paying attention to this at a level that nobody is paying attention to this. So just roughly, you know, what do you eat? Describe I, I, breakfast, I, lunch, and dinner, and 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 the composition of it. 
All right, I'd be happy to do that, but I'll have to share with you that I was eating differently when I was growing up. And since I met my wife, Nancy, who you know, who's also a physician, and she has really changed my approach to eating and she is focused on health. And it has been basically a pesco vegetarian diet, limited amount of fish, but basically a vegetarian diet. So very, very little poultry. I might have it once a year, maybe. <laughs> And, and no uh, beef, uh, no pork, uh, no lamb, nothing like that. Staying away from all the processed foods that are out there. Have at least one or two salads a day. Fruits are, are wonderful. Vegetables are wonderful. And I do cheat on occasion. I will have my gelato or sweets or whatever. And I have had a very, very fortunate ability to say whatever she puts in front of me is healthy and I know it. So I'll have to say I'm more ignorant than knowledgeable. I could not write a cookbook if my life depended okay. on it. I would depend on Nancy to do that. And she knows how to cook. Okay. Well, Joe, this is really astounding information, really interesting. And um, I, I would urge readers to, you know, go and find your website, go and find your books or read your articles if they want to. And just you know, really delve into this because it's it seems like a fairly low cost, not that hard to do thing to to make yourself healthy and your children healthy, and and set yourself up on a on a path um, that's not going to result in uh, you know all sorts of uh, health issues. Actually, is remarkably inexpensive to eat healthy. We spend a fortune buying processed junk foods that is leading to disease and ill health that is preventable. The vast majority of cancers, heart disease, arthritis, you name it, is tied in to the sad American diet, the standard American diet. It's just a shame. And when it comes to the microbiome, the probiotics are easily available to you and inexpensive. They're the fruits and vegetables. Just go out there and enjoy and you will have a longer, healthier, more vital life. Um, Joe, thank you very much. This was really enlightening, um, very fascinating. I, I think the audience and certainly myself um, uh, have been educated about the gut biome in a, in a way that I had no idea it was so important. And it just also seems to me to be such something we can all do that's not very difficult. I mean, we can change our eating habits. We can eat the right things. We don't have to uh, take prescription drugs. We don't have to have surgical procedures to do this. It just means shopping at one store instead of another store, putting something in your mouth instead of something else in your mouth that, that's going to cause, you know, cause you to be ill. Um, and while paying attention to this, you know, in general, fermented foods, uh, the, the dairy that you talked about, um, really interesting. And I, I imagine that there are going to be more and more groundbreaking um, uh, findings about the gut biome. And hopefully, uh, you know, in a year or so, when these things come out, we can check back with you and see what is new. So thanks a lot, Joe. It's good health to you. Listeners. Thanks again for tuning in to Out of the Box with Jonathan Russo. Your input is valuable to us, and we'd really like to hear from you. Please send us an email anytime with feedback at ootbwithjrusso at gmail.com and follow us on our Twitter page, ootbwithjrusso. Listeners, believe it or not, we're on Instagram. Please follow us at ootbwithjrusso on Instagram. This has been a copyrighted production of Grapevine Incorporated. All rights reserved.